Lord. Lord, we honor, bless you, praise you um, that you are um, the God of all creation. Um, we honor you that you created us to enjoy you and glorify you forever. May that reality not be something that eternity sees when we get into it practically. But, Lord God, may it be a reality um, for us even now, Lord God. Bless our time as we get into the word of God to hear from you. Um, like the old preachers say, what thus saith the Lord is. I used to love that, Lord. Um, that, that's, that's what we believe as we're faithful to the text, faithful to what's in here and extracting uh, what's in it out so that we can be changed through it invading us and challenging us and developing us. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen, 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 amen. We're back and we're diving into and continuing into our, um, our series on uh, stewardship. Stewardship. Before we get into it, how many of y'all uh, parked a long way away? How many of y'all parked a long way away? Wow, trekked in that snow, didn't you? Didn't have to walk around to get to the front, front of the building, huh? Yep, yep, yep. So I'm, I like, I'm actually loving the snow. I love the weather. Um, I wish it was colder outside. Um, I really do. I wish it was like 17 below, wind, octic winds blowing. Uh, uh, every, if you cried, it, you got a, a cry crystal, hold it up. You know what I'm saying? I wish, you know, it was that cold. Um, I love the cold weather. I just, I don't know what it is about the cold weather. I love it. I'm, 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 I'm you know, even though I'm dark-skinned and tropical, you know, I like, you know, I, I like, you know, we've, like man, my man said in minutes, we, we the tropical peoples, you know what I'm saying? But but, man, I like, I like Arctic winds, too. So I like to experience all four seasons. So I'm not even mad at all of this. You know what I'm saying? So, so, uh, so I'm learning to be content in every situation. So, um, so, 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 so yeah. So let's, let's enjoy this time um, and not let, just because the city's on hold, our spiritual lives and our direction in Christ do not be on hold. Amen? Amen, amen. So we're going to talk about possessions today. Say possessions. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is a very, very important part of stewardship that we talk about, and, and, this, and, and based on the text, um, how we talk about possessions isn't going to be a normal message on possessions. We're going to let the text really help us to get an understanding of possessions. Even though we're going to talk about possessions, we're really going to talk more about us than the possessions themselves. And we're going to talk about Jesus more than we talk about the possession themselves. Um, but it's interesting how Jesus works things in the text. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, we're going to do verses 18 through 24. 18 to 24 in the scriptures. Get there, say amen. Amen. Somebody not there, say hold up. Wow. Come on, y'all. First book of the New Testament. Middle. Just go to the middle. Clack out. Just cut it in half. Cut the Bible in half and you're in Matthew. Then turn over a few pages and you're in chapter 6. If you're in ESV Bible... It's 811, <laughs> page 811. Then right hand of the page, third paragraph from the bottom, all right, on the right. There you go. You there? Amen. I know you're there. All right, let's read this, and we're going to dive into it. It says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, or some translations may say mammon. So here in this text is, is probably one of uh, the most extensive discourses by Jesus where we see, if you got red lettering in your in, in your writing, you'll probably see it bleeding right now because Jesus is talking a lot. Jesus talking a whole bunch right here, and this is what's called the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is one of one of presented as Matthew is one of the most key discourses in uh, Jesus's teaching. Scholars fuss about whether or not the th this uh, this discourse, the the, the uh, uh, this uh, Sermon on the Mount, applies to Christians. Was it specifically to Christians or was it specifically to, to the children of Israel? And, um, and, and, and either way you go, even if you say specifically the children of Israel, there's still deep application for the Christian life that's within this. But we wouldn't say here that it's exclusively for the children of Israel, even though the original audience of Matthew at this point in time were those who were Jewish um, in their ethnic origin. Uh, what's powerful about the Sermon on the Mount is, is several things. Prior to this, Matthew kind of alley-oops this section by talking about Jesus' first sermon in chapter 4 where he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That, that's, that's a powerful beginning sermon. That was the extent of Jesus' first sermon. It took all of but five seconds to make the statement. Very, very short sermon, but he just kept saying it. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom. That was the whole sermon, the whole time. It was just a continuous hook for his sermon. And, and, and him walking through and talking about that is one of the concepts that we here have talked about over a, a, a great period of time and at great length uh, about the word metanoia. Say metanoia. Metanoia is the word for repent, which means to change your mind about something. In other words, Jesus was dealing with the Jews in this context and dealing with um, 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 expressing, especially Matthew's passion, is to express that Jesus Christ is the messianic king, the promised one. That, that, that's his goal. Like, that's what he's trying to get after in the in, throughout this whole book. And so he strategically sets up different things that Jesus said. That is metanoia or change of mind. He's calling God's, he's calling people, he's calling people to change their minds about what you think things should be like and turn towards what you believe God believes things should be like. That, that's the center of repent. Repent is not just change of direction. It first starts with a change of mind because your direction can't change unless your mind changes. So you can turn the other direction but still have the same attitudes, actions, and associations, but there has to be a change of the anatomy of your value system. And so what Jesus is doing is he, his first sermon was to help the value system of people to change, to embrace him as the Messiah and say, let me inform you what your value should be. And so Matthew sets that up, and then we begin what's called the Beatitudes in chapter 5, and you'll see it's a blessed are the, blessed are the, blessed are the. And what's beautiful about the idea of, 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 this, of these blessed statements within 
the framework of the Beatitudes. Stay with me. I'm just giving background because everybody didn't grow up in the church. And so kind of want to give everybody a framework. And so this idea of blessed means happy are. Like in Psalm 1, it says, blessed is the man. The word there will point to happy. Now, what's, what's, what's powerful about this understanding of happy is we've taught in the church, and I've even taught, um, that, that, happy God, that, that God isn't concerned about our happiness. That's a true and false statement at the same time. Now, when, 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 he said, when, when he's talking about blessed or happy, that is talking about satisfaction. That's what it's talking about. That it's, it's talking about the nature of how satisfaction is nurtured in the life of the Christian. So before Jesus dives into the nooks and crannies of this sermon where he's trying to prove something in particular to the people of Israel, and it's so masterful. I mean, he was a beast of a preacher. And the way he just, I mean, the way he just, I mean, his homiletics were redonkulous. The way he kind of works through the thing and then come at, and he climaxes at the end on the two, the parable of the two foundations. I mean, I'm just rocked by his, I mean, he's a big, I mean, he's, he's the God man. I mean, what, I mean, what's good? I mean, he is who he is. I mean, he is who he is. And so, and so as we're in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus spends time talking about ethics of the kingdom. Say ethics of the kingdom. Yeah, one of the things that he's trying to do within the framework of the Sermon on the Mount is to get God's people or to get people on the same page of what, how God judges and looks at things. That's, that's what this is about. So one of the things that he does is he talks about the purpose of the people of God being the light of the world, but then he talks about, um, uh, uh, the, 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 he breaks and is trying to break the legalism of the people of God. And so what he talks about is he said, you heard it said, but I say. He said, I'm not remixing anything. He said, because I didn't come to destroy the law, I came to fulfill it. And so what he does as he goes through, he begins talking about their limited application of the law and talk about God's ultimate kingdom and ethical requirement of what it looks like when a person who is properly respond to God, loving him, that's the background of it, loving him with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself causes you to see sin a certain way and see God a certain way and see yourself a certain way and God a certain way, see your thinking a certain way and see God's thinking a certain way. Because you can't repent until you see the differences between the two. And so what he begins to do is he begins to start talking about what does full repentance look like for the people of God. That's what he, and so, because Cass like, well, you know, I, I ain't touch her. And he said, well, if you look, he's like, dang. I mean, and then, 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 then he goes over and he's like, he's like, he's like, um, he talks about oaths. He talks about, he's like, yeah, you know, I ain't never murder nobody. I ain't go up on him with a sword and go, cat, cat. I ain't do that, dag or nothing. He said, but did you say it? Did you, did you think it in your heart? He said, yeah, I did murder a lot of people in my heart over time. He said, you did it then. And talking about, like, he's dealing with the heart of repentance. He's dealing with the heart of kingdom ethics. That kingdom ethics has to do more with the nature and transformation of the heart in the crevices and the core than it is the appearance of it. That, that's, that's what he's saying to us. And so he's trying to get us to not just repent appear repentant but be repentant it's powerful it's powerful he said this is what because you begin to see how gully you really are and throw yourself on the mercy of the rule of lights that, that's that's the gospel and so and so here in this text very very beautifully and masterfully done by master jesus is he schooling us 
in this section here, which is really this section we're spending time in, is, the, is, is part three or four of the Sermon on the Mount. And, I, and I, it is, it's, it's so, I mean, I, I mean, excuse me if I keep stuttering. I'm just rocked off of how brilliant Jesus is. So if I stop, pause, look off in the wind, don't, I mean, just keep zooming in. I mean, because I'm really blown away by our Lord. Like, really, I'm, I mean, I'm blown away by him. And as I look at verses 19 through 24, this, I mean, the, the way they're strategically placed in the Sermon on the Mount is, 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 is I mean, I don't even have an adjective for it. And so what he does here is he begins talking to the people about a summation of what he's trying to say holistically. There are two points in the Sermon on the Mount that's very, very key. Verses 19 through 24 is key, and then also what's key to the Sermon on the Mount is verses of chapter 7, verses 24 through verses 27. Those are very, very key points in the Sermon on the Mount. Very, very key points. Now, I got one point today, just one point that we're going to work from. Just one point that I believe we've extracted from this text here to give us as kind of like a reference point in relation to possessions. And this is it, and then we're going to defend it based on, or not defend it, but extract it. See where we got it from. You can write it down. Live for the reward that only Jesus can give. That's it. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what we're going to talk about today. Living for the reward that only Jesus can give. Now, excuse me if I get emotional today, because this is, this, this is close to my heart. Because I'm preaching to me today, so y'all just... Y'all can join me. Like, I'm, I'm talking to me. So if y'all welcome to be a part of this worship gathering. Um, 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 but, but, but there's very, preachers say we preaching to ourselves and we just talking smack. But I'm telling you for real, for real, on a whole nother level, your boy's preaching to himself today. Because this is my greatest struggle as a Christian right here in this text. Um, live for the reward that only Jesus can give. Can you do that? Now, now look at what the text says. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. This is, this is, this is powerful. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. This means to store. To store or put in safekeeping. <laughs> to store up treasures on earth means to make earth your storage facility. <laughs> I don't know if you got storage facilities. You know what I'm saying? But I got storage. I keep paying for it. I'm buying the stuff back that I already got in it. So I might as well either get rid of the stuff or I don't know. Anyway, it's wasteful. That's basically it. It's a ba bad investment. <laughs> but, but the idea of here is making the earth the place where you store what you value. He, he's, 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 he's challenging people about the true depth of kingdom ethics. Now, this is what, let me say this to explain what he's not saying, because we talked a few weeks ago about monasticism or monks and how monks act and how they take stuff and say, oh, see, you shouldn't have anything. You shouldn't have any possessions. Just have with the clothes you have on. Um, and then just wash them. Okay, so you, okay, how, uh, we're not going to go into the, the ethics of that, but I'm trying to figure out, like, how that's going to work. But Jesus is, isn't disconnect, uh, disconnecting the usefulness of earthly things. He's not 
He's not trying to get rid of us to talk about the usefulness of earthly things. Um, but he is challenging our posture and allegiance towards earthly things. And here, I want you to understand, we're not just talking about money. We're not. And you'll see in this context, based on the context of the verse, money is only a symptom. Like when you look at the, 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 the subject purpose statement of this chapter, which we'll get into in a second, you'll see why Jesus is saying this statement and what is he specifically pointing it to. And at the end of each clause, he applies it to a different means of grace. Powerful. And so, and so do not lay up for yourself treasure on earth. So should, the question somebody will ask is, should we save, build up retirement resources, prepare for our children's college future, uh, our college and their future? Uh, should we use banks like if we shouldn't build up treasure, should we put money in the bank? Um, can we collect things? You know, like me, that would shut a lot of stuff down for me because I collect. Um, even though if he told me to do it, I, I got I to gotta, I gotta fall back. Um, and all of this is a yes. Um, the scripture talks much about saving, a lot about it. Somebody says, see, I knew I could spend all my money because you can't take it with you. I'm going to live paycheck to paycheck for the rest of my life. No. No, no, stop it, stop it, stop it. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a few weeks. Um, uh, the scripture also talks about preparing for successive generations, Keep, uh, saving an inheritance for your children's children, so that's a good thing. Uh, so that's not building up treasures on earth, that's building a legacy. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. Um, uh, and you should do that fiscally, and, and you should... Also enjoy God's creation. So God is not trying to be a happiness pooper, right? That's not what he's doing. He's not saying, he's not saying, I want you, I don't want you to enjoy anything, and I just want you to go around a dingy clothes, ring around your neck right here, and walk around looking weird with a Bible under your hand and looking to heaven like the apocalypse is about to happen. That's that's not that's not what he's saying here. But but what but, but what he's trying to he's trying to help us. He's trying to really help us through some things. So, 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 so it, it, he's trying to get us not to make earth our storage facility, facility. This is not our treasure box. We don't put anything here for safekeeping. We don't invest in it for the sake of it. That's the point. In other words, it's investing in earth for earthly reasons. Ah, there's a difference between that, and we'll talk about it as we go through the text. Now, what does this look like? Okay, now the text is killing it on this, right? So what does it look like to not lay up for yourself treasures in heaven? Contextually, what is he saying? Look at verse chapter 6, in the same chapter, verse 1. This is influencing how the whole passage goes. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. So how do you build up treasures for yourself on earth based on the context? Number one, by people pleasing. A fixation on making people comfortable with you. That's what the text said. A fixation, man-pleasing comes from a deep self-love. Think about that. If we become, as Christians, any of us, man-pleasers and live for men, what happens is, is that is a gaping hole that will always be saying, come here. And, and, and one of the issues I fight through as a Christian is making sure that, like, like fighting through this 
people-pleasing idea here. Now, what does the Bible say, okay, about this idea? Should we love ourselves? Uh, the Bible assumes it. The Bible never says, you know what, you should give yourself a hug every day. The Bible doesn't say, man, kiss the mirror every now and then just to remember that you're special to God. See, God knows we don't struggle with that. So you ain't got to tell people to love themselves. Even a person that's suicidal is a lover of self. Because their suicide has to do with them not being happy, therefore committing suicide trying to find happiness because they feel like this life needs to end. So even suicide is a form of pride. <laughs> so, so, so when we look at this idea in the text of this idea of man, now, because the Bible, the Bible does assume that we love ourselves. Love your neighbor as your what? So it ain't saying, because you, I mean, love yourself so that you can love your neighbor. It just says, see, we already, Bible, the Holy Spirit said, I know you love you. You weaving it out, you getting shape-ups, you getting your teeth brightened, you getting implants, and you buying gear. You getting your toes French manicured, you know what I'm saying? Um, I, I, like, you love yourself. You look in the mirror every time you pass one, you pass something, it ain't in my mirror, it's just a, a, a you, you just go like this. Y'all know it ain't even a mirror. It's just a, a smoke glass window. Somebody tinted windows. You, you like this. Because we love, our, love ourselves. Even if you got issues with your body, you don't like your fully. You still, but the reason why you got issues, know why? Because you love yourself. So, so we ain't got to fight on that, right? But even, especially men, the Bible specifically gives an example for men. Um, because it says, it, says, it assumes it in Ephesians, I believe it's chapter 5. Verse 28 and 29, it says, and no one ever hated his own body. That's what it's like. Who actually really hates his own body? Um, nobody really does. Like, I was even watching this, um, this fight uh, quest thing, and these people in Indonesia, Cat was, was, took a sword. I mean, I was rocked. Dude took a sword. He was doing a, a ceremony and carrying on, and then he took out his tongue and said, yak it, yak it, yak it. And I was like, I was like this, and they were just showing. I was like, I was sitting there like, oh my God, like what, what, in, and the blood coming on down. He, he dancing still, feeling no pain and carrying on. And I was like, wow, wow, mutilating himself to show people that he had a high pain tolerance, love of self. Like, again, all of us, Christian, non-Christian, everybody love himself on some level, Okay. And, 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 so, and so one of the things that even, even, even we don't want to project as a church is a self-righteousness and a love of self that's devoid of the truth of the scriptures. But what's interesting here is that Jesus is trying to get us um, um, to understand that we live not to please men. Paul even speaks prophetically through the spirit the time when self-love a.k.a. self-preservation, will be upgraded. He says, for when in later times, based on uh, 2 Timothy 3, 2, men will be what? Lovers of self. So it, men have always loved self, right? Now, all of this got to do with possessions. It, it, I'm just telling you, it has deeply to do with possessions. Uh, some of y'all say, where's the possession? Stay with me. Um, it's it lovers of self. In other words, men have always loved self, but it will be upgraded as time goes on. How many of you all have seen an increase in man's love of self? 
I mean, you look on CNN, you look on, you look on um, the, uh, uh, Comcast front page, you see the vids, you, you see Twitter, you see all the different things. People, people we, 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 the, the, there's an escalation of self-love. And so in this text, you know, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth is a way, it, it, in the context, um, presenting your, uh, uh, practicing your righteousness before men in the context is one of the ways of doing that, which comes from a deep passion and self-love, which points to insecurity. Insecurity. Everybody's insecure. I'm insecure. I know I'm not alone. Very, very insecure. And will do anything to tweak to please men. So fixation with pleasing man, and number two, fixation with declaring yourself righteous because of what you do. He said, do not practice your righteousness before men. Like, like he said, so, so, so he's saying now, you, now, now what Jesus is trying to get them to do is it's your righteousness. That's the key. That's the key point in the text. It's your righteousness that you're practicing. Now, when you're practicing your righteousness, that means that you're the only one judging yourself as righteous because of what you do. Um, and so and practicing it, like he talks about fasting, going around some of the Whoo, I'm hungry, man. I've been worshiping the Lord and seeking his face. Pray that I, you know, because I'm seeing steaks and, I mean, man, aromas outside, the grill, you know. Like, I mean, I'm, man, but you know, I'm going to be faithful to him because I'm fasting. He's like, you got your reward already. He said, he said, he said, man, he said, if you take out your, your, your deal and put up, check out a check. Well, ha, I'm about to write a big check to Haiti right now, <laughs> and I'm going to help a lot of people. Mem Guess what I'm putting in the memo, and you're just announcing it. Like, he says, you got your reward already. He said, if you pray, going around praying loud in a way that's bringing attention to yourself, nothing wrong with loud praying now, because ain't nothing wrong with my, my, my charismatic brothers and sisters. We like to pray loud. Hey, God, we bless you. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Now, He's talking about vain repetition that points to thinking that the way you pray gets God's attention versus the posture of your heart. Okay? Now, this is, this is, this is the aroma. I want y'all to sniff the aroma off this text. He's talking about, about flat-out funky self-righteousness. And, and that has everything to do with how you relate to your possessions. Everything. Because if you want to please people, and if you want to be righteous in your own right, you're going to do everything you can to take care of yourself and to satisfy yourself divorced from a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so, and so, and so again, he just dives all into this. I, 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 I like one of my favorites on this. It's two men praying in the temple. It says two men went up to pray in the temple, into the, into the temple to pray. And it says one, of, one was a Pharisee and the other a tax gatherer. So in the people's minds already, they're like, unrighteous, righteous. The Pharisee's righteous. The tax gatherer is unrighteous. It says the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. <laughs> um, extortioners. Unjust. He looking around the room. Adulterers. I know you hear me. Even like th that's tax gatherer over there. He said, guess what I do? I fast twice a week. 
He said, he said, and I give tithes of everything I get. God, I tithe so much. When somebody gives me a gift, I ask them how much it costs, and then I give money based off the amount that it costs to get them to give so that you know that everything, God, I, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm in good standing with you. I mean, I can come before your presence anytime I want to. Really don't need your help to come before your presence because I do so much to get in your presence. I'm such a beast. I'm such a, I mean, thank you for let. I mean, I, I, I know it's a privilege to, you know, be around your boy. But then the tax gatherer, tax gatherer, he not even in the mix of the community. People, people giving tithes, offerings, tithing mint, all type. He just, he just in the back somewhere, just standing off to himself, Jesus says. He says, but the tax collector standing off would not even lift his eyes. Look at this dude's posture to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, right here. They'd be like, they'd be like, see, that, come on now. Now, now you got to understand the crowd he was in because they were used to the Pharisees being a particular way. I'm telling you, every, all this guy, stay with me because all this got to do with possession. And so, and, and, and they're like, see, I mean, like he should, like he done messed the temple all up coming in there being a sinner. Like he's all unclean. Like, like why is he even telling this story? Like, why is he, why would he even tell us this? And they're spooked out by Jesus' story. But then Jesus raises him one. He said, I got a question for you, though. He says, I tell you the truth that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other one. This would have spooked them out. They'd have been like, really? How in the world is this guy justified and this one not justified? He says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but everyone who humbles himself will be uh, exalted. And so Jesus talks about this idea in this Luke passage, and it, and, it, and it keys right in to how self-righteousness is laid out in this other passage. And so Jesus talking about do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. And it's interesting. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break into steel. Now, I'm such a nerd. You know, I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about what moths do, you know. Now, you got to understand my moth history. You know, I got some moth history. You know, I had a sweater I really liked, and a moth ate it, so I was mad. He ate a hole right in a spot would make you have to get rid of it. Um, looked like somebody burned a hole in it. But you understand my moth history. My grandmama used to keep these white balls in the pocket of everything. When she walked around, when you, when you went in her closet, it smelled like mothballs. When you went in the house, it smelled like mothballs. But she had this mixture in the house. Like, you understand the smell mixture. She had the smell of Ben Gay, mothballs, V8. Some of y'all don't know about no V8. Oil of Olay, because it will help you look younger too. So she had this mixture. So even when I come to this day and I smell those smells together, like a Rolodex comes into my mind of memories as I think about it. But I'm thinking about the fact that she was working very hard to preserve what she had. She worked hard to preserve it because she's like, listen, you know, so it tells you to do like this, you know, with the oil of a lay, and then she got the mall bar, she's on the preserve code, with something she should do. But it's interesting that it's talking about how fragile earth is. That's the point of the text. Earth is fragile. It's not dense, weighty, with depth. It's fragile. Self-righteousness is fragile. People-pleasing is fragile. Building for yourself treasures for you and to satisfy your empty needs is a gaping hole that can never be satisfied. 
Never. Never. The more you try to do, it's going to say, your ego is going to say, more, please. You thought when you did this, it was going to satisfy you for a moment, and it said, more, please. That's why sin is so deceitful. I can sin a little bit, and then you automatically begin to open a gaping hole that you can't control. Earth is fragile. I don't care how long I live. That's a lesson I have to learn over and over and over and over again. I Some things you can hear about over and over and over again. You can hear sermons on prayer a whole bunch, evangelism, loving your wife, and building eternal treasures over and over and over again. Because those are the ones that are most neglected, and this is one that's greatly neglected. We're rust. I want to talk about oxidation. I won't talk about that. You know, oxidation of metals. I'm such a nerd. Um, thieves, we don't have to even explain that because we're no Philly. So, <laughs> now I know some of y'all remember when we first launched, cars were getting broken into. It was like 17, 30, 40, 50 cars. And we come out together like, dang. So, so, so even as we started, as God blessed us to start this church, we felt the fragility of earth already. Like, we was like, dang, we came here to incarnate, and here we go. Break-ins galore, radio stolen, GPS systems, you know, clothes. Some of y'all lived in your car, so every, all your stuff was stolen. And so, fragile, earth is so fragile. That's what Jesus is trying to say. He said, he said just like rust and clothing, he said, just like metal and clothing and, Stuff you thought you were hiding from someone can still get stolen. The guys, when they stole my car a few months ago in Philly before I got a new car, they, they stole my car, and I thought I had my glove compartment. They broke my glove compartment, pried it open, and got stuff I hid, like got stuff under the seat, under the, my little compartment. So ain't nothing safe on planet Earth. Jesus is going to say, ain't nothing safe. When you're trusting in Earth, it, there's no safety in it. And I'm still fighting that pill. And it's a pill all of us as Christians are going to have to fight over and over and over again. But then Jesus gives hope. He gives some hope. He says, I know earth is fragile, and I want you to feel the weight of earth. I want you to feel the frustration of earth being fragile. I want, I want, I want, let that settle on you for a minute. Then he says, but this is what you can do. Verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, this is crazy. Now, I've read this a billion times, but there's a pronoun here that jumps out at me, yourselves. Because he says, he says, lay up for yourselves. Now, hold on. It seems like you didn't want us to love ourselves. You don't want us to invest in ourselves. But it's, it, it's an interesting paradox. It's an interesting paradox here. It reminds me of John, one of John Piper's maxims where he said, uh, God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied with him. That maxim is so true because we see it in the text here, it's not just a statement of a man that's extracted from Scripture. Build up for yourselves this idea that people are talking about today, Christian hedonism, which is not a, uh, a controversial Christian doctrine. It is a true doctrine that we are most satisfied. We are most satisfied when we're doing things God's way. We are most satisfied when we're properly investing based on Christ's power in his way of thinking and his way of doing things based on and practicing kingdom ethics and viewing everything as a servant of his. And so he says, build for yourselves. So it's interesting that Jesus would say this when most of his ministry, he's trying to pry man's hands off of stuff. He's trying to pry man's hands off of earth. 
But what he's talking about is, is it built up for yourselves? Is he's talking about as you treasure God above everything, God will reward you based on your treasuring of him and using his means of grace as a storage system. God's means of grace is God's storage system and unlocking the key to the storage facility called heaven. I want you to salad that. So that's why when Jesus say when you pray, you ought, to, you ought to pray like this. When you give, you ought to give like this. He's not just talking about, he's not talking legalism, he's talking about mechanisms, not legalism. There's a difference. And so somebody might, well, well, build up yourself treasures in heaven. So we'll talk about heaven for just a few minutes. Is that okay? Heaven. Heaven. Now, there's three heavens that, that was understand biblically. You'll hear Paul talk about being caught up to the third heaven in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The first heaven was our atmosphere right here. Then the, um, then the space, um, which they would have just saw as the stars. And then the third heaven, of course, is the dwelling place of God. And so heaven for the believers is where our citizenship is with God. Now, when we talk about building up for yourselves treasures in heaven, it's based on being satisfied with the one that who is in heaven, not being satisfied with heaven. See, we're not satisfied with heaven. We're not. Matter of fact, we won't spend eternity in it. Some of, some of, some of, some of us, you know, uh, that, that's why our gospel presentations need to change. We tell people, you, you want to know how to get to heaven? Then we describe heaven to them. When was going to heaven ever about going to heaven? <laughs> when? <laughs> going to heaven was about being with a person who's in heaven. That, that's, that's what it's about. So, 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 so that, when we talk about build up for yourselves treasures in heaven, that means talking about living in light of the one who's there, not just to get to the stuff that we store there. That's the point of the Sermon on the Mount, to see the limitation of our mind. And so believers, believers, we get to spend eternity with God. So the treasure in heaven is a where, or is it a who, or is it a what? I would say all three. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a where because heaven is a place even though we will be spending eternity um, in both a new heaven and a new earth. And we'll be like, man, we'll be, we'll be up and we'll be walking around on earth, you know, um, walking down some, I don't know what it's going to fully look like. We may be walking around San Sahara, Africa, you know, in the new earth. You know, I mean, man, I said, let's go visit, um, let's go visit uh, Geshu up, up, you know, he up in the third heaven. Let's go catch the elevator real quick. We, boom, we go up to heaven. What's up, big baby? How you been, man? Oh, man. Yeah, everything good. Then we're going to go back. Go down. Let's go over to New Jerusalem, walk the streets, see what Jesus is doing over there, even though his presence is with us now because he's shining on us right now. And so we get to hug him almost like he's here, but we still want to see him physically because he's both non-corporeal and he's corporeal. He's non-corporeal because he's spirit, so he's everywhere, but he's corporeal because he's man. So he's 100% God, 100% man. So I want to be able to experience him as God, but I also want to experience him as man because he's my savior. <laughs> so heaven. We'd be like, man, let's go over and see where Patrice ruling over in Russia. Patrice is going to be ruling the area in Russia. We're going to be like, hey, man, let's go visit her and over there, you know, vision, visit over that joint. You know what I'm saying? So the new heavens and new earth. So I, and so that's where we're going to spend eternity. So it's a where, but it's also a who. It's the one who's here in heaven. We don't want to go to heaven if God isn't there. Heaven, God makes heaven heaven. God makes true earth earth. The new earth is only true earth because the tabernacle of God will be among men. 
So we're treasure. So Jesus is trying to get our treasure, uh, uh, the posture of our souls to treasure things above and to treasure the person. But then it's a what? Because we'll get an inheritance in light of that. So it's a who, it's a where, and it's a what? <laughs> it's crazy. That, that's, that's the, and, so, and so it's interesting. It says in Luke 12, 21, it says, it says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and not rich towards God. And so heaven is presented in this passage as a limitless storage facility. Limitless. See, earth is a limited storage space. Heaven is a limitless storage space. Matthew 14, 2 says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I not have told you? I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. Did it say take you to some stuff? Did you hear that? He said, I'm coming to bring you to me. To me, to be with him. That where I am, ego I me, which is a play on him being eternal in God, there you may be also. So where he always has been, is, and will be, we get to spend eternity with him as our central treasure. So you thought your treasure was just being able to drive a, a, a Rolls Royce on the streets of gold. Or, or to get a linen robe with some fur around the collar and some diamond earrings that are bigger and, and, and heavenly earrings where they're so big they don't pull your earlobes down. They kind of suspend it because there's no gravity or something. Like, that's not, that's not the heaven we're talking about. <laughs> I love Jim Elliott's rule. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Wow. Let me say that again. Some of y'all need to write that down. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So what does it look like to treasure, to store up treasures in heaven? What does it look like? Let's put some meat on these bones. What does it look like? One real, one real just like we had some fixations on the other point, this is, a, this is a beautiful point. Fixation to live for an audience of one. Fixation to live for an audience of one. The only true audience of the Christian is the Godhead, not people. That's the fixation in this passage that he's trying to get us to understand. That's why prayer should be heavenward, not manward. So he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So therefore, what you treasure is, when it says there your heart will be also, it's talking about your affections. Where are your affections, Christians? Are, your, are, are, are our affections on earth and our identity and our need for human affirmation and to accumulate stuff so that we can floss? Because, see, even if, let's say, you know, some of us, I know I ain't the only one, I don't, but you daydream about being rich. I know you do. Don't raise your hand. You know, you always, if I had a half a million dollars, you know, I would give to the church, half a billion dollars, I'd give to the church. I'd give my, to the Lord, and then. See, then, then we got the and then, all right? And, and, and what will and what, happen is, is many times the average person that wants to be rich doesn't really want the riches. They want the status that comes with the riches and the identity that comes with being viewed in a particular way because you got loot. Like, I, I remember sometime I'll just walk through me and Marcus, 
you know, and I'll try to, you know, walk around, you know, try to act like I'm not a poor dude, you know, sagging all down to here. Like, yo, let me have that. Let me have, I, I, I can't buy nothing. So don't front like, see, he tripping. Like, no, nah, I'm telling you, I can't. But I always try, I'm afraid that they're viewing me as a poor man. So I try to present myself like, yeah, I, I saw these online and I wanted to. No, nah, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. If you, it, it, and so, so, so therefore, what it's talking about what, what do you seek for satisfaction? Jesus says, and he said, that's what he said, blessed is, happy is, those who are satisfied with God rightly as central and as the central place. Because if you're satisfied with self, your heart will always build a castle around its passions. It will. Your heart will always, whatever you're passionate about, whatever you're passionate about, you're going to rig your life for it. You're going to rig your life. You're going to build. You're going to, you're going to, you, like, like, you're going to build everything in your life to make sure that you're able to make sure that that gets done all the time. And, the, and, and for the Christian life, that's the central key of everything. What you build your life around. That's what Jesus is talking about. What do you, what, or, what, are, what are you building your life to orbit? What's the center of your universe? What's the S-U-N of your life? What planets in your life, which is everything in your sphere, and what's the center? What's the sun of it? Is Jesus the S-U-N or is there a S? Is Jesus the S-O-N or is it another S-U-N? Crazy universe, our lives. And that's why Jesus wants us to understand that we must value, value of, I like this statement. It says the true value of any treasure is determined by its location. Powerful. True value of a treasure is based on this location. And Jesus is really talking about heaven as more than just a place here. One of my favorite passages that always helps me when I'm feeling very insignificant, which it's good to feel that way, amen, which I feel like that very regularly. Um, I'm, however, Feeling insignificant to the point of self-absorption is idolatry because that means I'm over-worrying about myself. So what I do is I go to Colossians 3, verses 1 through 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, I love that. He is our life. Appears, you will also appear with him in glory. That is, that is, oh my God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives within me. So, 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 so God, the, the, the idea of how we relate to possessions is how you relate to your identity in Christ, not trying to build up for yourself self-righteousness and man-pleasing. Now, what's interesting is Jesus goes into a, he subtexts this. This is so powerful. That's why I say Jesus' preaching, preaching was so beasty. He subtexts this with a two-verse parable. And he goes here and he says in verse 22, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. That, that's crazy. Now, Jesus is talking, like, it's, it's crazy how, like, Catch me. This is, this is my theology nerd Bible stuff hitting me. But it's interesting. He's talking about this. There are your treasures in your heart. Then he just out of nowhere just starts this parable. He says, oh, yeah. The eye is the lamp 
of the body. Now, I, now, first of all, let me just say this. I don't see how they listened to all of this all the way through and didn't, like, stop him. I would have been interrupting him a lot saying, okay, chop that up for me. He just preached straight through this. So I'm, I'm still rocked by the, like, I wouldn't have, like, anyway, verse 22. I told you I was going to have some crazy moments. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Check this out. This is powerful. Now, I was, I, I, was, you know, I spent hours, hours on just that. Hours. It was monstrositous. I mean, I spent a lot of time trying to get the sense and praying and asking the ghost to allow the scriptures, like Spurgeon says, to give up its truth. I said, give it to me, Holy Ghost. And he, and he said, he said, I got you since you're going to humble yourself to me and not trust in your exegetical ability. So here you go, black owl. So I said, I said whoo, swallow it all, God, swallow it all. So what does the eye represent? The eye. Oh, stay with me. The eye here is pointing to our disposition towards what we see. Stay with me. It is acting or being presented as that which is the center of one's values. Okay? So the eye is not, is not just using it as a place of sight, but he says the eye is a lamp. Now I'm going to explain what that means as it being a lamp. So where our values and, and, the, and the tunnel by which our bodies are nurtured. So it's using the eye to say when you see something, your eyes, especially how Jesus uses it here, it takes in information and, and, and it nurtures you based on what you see. But then it says, therefore, the eye is used here as our value system, the pipeline of how our souls are nurtured. So basically, is the eye is used as our way of thinking. What we value. What we, what we build our lives around. The eye he's using here as the treasure. Are you with me? As what, uh, uh, not, not the treasure, but the posture towards which treasure we value. Y'all with me? So the eye is either going to be in two places, and I'm going to explain that in a second. So that's why he say the eye is a lamp. That means it functions as a source of illumination. Now, you got to understand lamps in their day. They didn't have lamps. We just reached up on and clicked it or clicked it. You know, some of y'all might have the ones that fold out like this from Target or somewhere. That's not the kind of lamps they had. You got to understand their lamps. You know, I know y'all go to Ikea and all of that. But, but that's not the type of lamps they had. They had lamps that were, that, that were held and they, they had glass over them. They did make glass back then, by the way. And... They had the little thing. I don't know if y'all seen it around the house. Grandmama may have one that looked like a candle holder. You may have had one of them joints before. And what you do is you light the rope and you put to get more light, you turn, the, turn it so more rope can come out so that it can have more space to burn. So that's the type of lamp that they had here. So what the lamp would do is the light was inside of the lamp and the body of the lamp was was the glass that surrounded it. So if the light was on, then that means it was illumined by the light. Y'all with me? So now, what he said is, he says, if the light is on, it's healthy. In other words, if your eye is healthy, having a disposition towards viewing God's treasures properly, which is your value system. So healthy means being complete in extent, and it means to be whole. It plays on the idea of comprehensive wholeness, our idea here of shalom, entirely complete, but it also means seeing things as they really are. It means seeing things as they really are. That means you've truly repented and now you value things like God values them and therefore the way you look at them is not based on man. But it's based on the light 
that illumines it so that you can see things rightly. Now, the, I, I, I wish I had time to just talk about the theology of light in the New Testament. I don't even have time for that. But, but let's just borrow the synoptics and the latter epistles, general epistles and Pauline epistles. And the idea of light talked about the word of God being light and which caused a person to be able to see clearly walking in the light, meaning having a clear uh, a clear invasion of God's value system on the life of the Christian. It's powerful. But this is interesting. He said, if you're healthy, he said, if your eyes healthy, your whole body will be full of light. That's powerful. What is he saying? Full in, in, in the New Testament, plero, full means, means, literally, means literally to be under the control of something. When the Bible says, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. It's not talking about the spirit is like some water and you pour him in yourself until he fills you up. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about level of submission to the spirit. That means to be under the spirit's control. So if a person is wilding out, they're not under the spirit's control. They just acting like they are. Okay. So right here, when he says, he says, full of light means you're under the control of God's value system. He said, he said, you're seeing things as, as they really are, and you don't just see things theologically, you also apply them. So that means you're fighting, which is a fight for every Christian, to view everything in your life through the lens of the gospel. Everything. Everything. And it's a fight to do it. It's difficult to do it. <laughs> Light means the, a healthy orientation of the disciples' Life, but he said, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. That means you don't value what God values, and everything in your life is darkened because you don't view things and you don't see things as they really are. You don't see, you don't, you're not seeing it means to not see for real, for real. It means seeing you don't see, like the Bible says. You ever heard the Bible say, seeing they don't see? That when the Bible says that, it Bible says that people can be in the word, not view the word properly. And see the word, but still not see because they don't have a full comprehensive understanding. That's the that's the sense of this right here. So 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 that's why he's because in the context of the passage, it shows that people are in the word, but are not fully utilizing it to the full extent of which the word is supposed to be used. Stay with me. And so he says, how great is this darkness? That means that a person is living for self. Now, what's funny about this is this would have confused the people because they say, these people, you're talking about a righteous God. They do the right thing. He says their right thing is based on their passions, not God's. So he said, whenever you're walking in self-righteousness, even the good that you try to do that looks good really isn't good because it's not motivated by a systemic view of God. Crazy. This Bible is a beast. I am not a beast. This Bible is redonkulous. Goodness. Then he goes in verse 24. He says some of the, the key statements he repeats. Now, y'all got to understand, Jesus talks so much about our value system and how we view treasures and earth and possessions. He talks so much about it. <laughs> it says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted, he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon or money, money. 
Now, love, of course, means he said, one, you'll be your value or delight or strive for one. And then he says, you also, now, now this is interesting, because the idea of healthy earlier meant single-mindedness. Single-minded devotion is a, is a, is a response to health. It all, I, meant, I forgot to say that about the Greek word for healthy. There means, um, means also to have a single-mindedness, almost like one eye open, you know, looking real hard at something, right? And so he says, you, he said, but, he said, this single-mindedness can go two ways. It can go to a, he said, the single-mindedness of healthiness can point two directions. Now, one is pointing towards that which is earthly, single-minded towards earthliness, or single-minded towards heavenliness, or godness, or his direction, right? Or godliness, rather, not godness, but that's not a word, godliness, right? And so he's talking about the single-mindedness, and he's talking about what it will look like when you're fully committed to one or the other. God is not an in-between God. You're either hot or you're cold. There's no in-between. Laodicea was lukewarm. You got to understand, we, we, ah, I'm about to preach something else. Let me come back in. I don't want to use that as an example. I'll save that for when we get to Revelation. But what's interesting is that he talks about what the level of commitment will be like. Turn it off, please. Thank you. Um, before we get into looking at this, he wants us to see, yo, there are, your commitment won't really be divided. He said, God doesn't believe that anybody's divided in their commitment. Check this. He's saying here that you can't say you're really single-mindedly after me and you're still peeking over here. He says your peeking to me is full commitment. You understand that? So God says there's no halving it with me. So, so when you're serving anything else but me, to me, you're somebody else's servant. He said the bottom line. He said if you're not serving me, he said you, so, 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 so again, so again, he says you will be devoted to one and despise the other. <laughs> to be devoted means to have a strong attachment. Despise means as treating with scornful contempt, look down and despise, disparage, as treating with neglect, slight, to think lightly or little of something. So God, what Jesus is motivating us to do is think little of earth and think highly of him. That's what he's trying to do. Now, that's a balance because we have to use the earth. We have to use what's in our possessions to the glory of Jesus Christ. Now, as we use them and God increases, because some of you um, are going to increase in many ways, financially, spiritually, you, you, have a, you might get pro whatever you get. The issue is, is you always got to do a heart check. You always got to do a heart check to see if, is this serving the Lord or is it serving me? And, and, and that's something very, very difficult for any Christian. And if you're really being a Christian, you're always evaluating that. And so our goal is to be single-minded in relation to that, in relation to that. Now, let's look at this from the, from the standpoint of, of the gospel. It's interesting as we look at our Lord with this. He, he, I mean, he's just a beast with his. And what's beautiful is that the Bible says we have a treasure in us. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness of the value would not be of ourselves but of him. So our value comes from the treasure. Now, if you look in the context of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, you look ahead of that to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, you will see that the treasure is the gospel that's in the life of the Christian. 
So the treasure is already in us, and we're supposed to properly use the treasure. But what's beautiful about Jesus is through Christus exemplar, he applied this. Christ, our example, he already applied the principle of valuing heaven above earth. He already did it, which empowers us as Christians with the ability to do it. So what God doesn't do is tell you to do this on your own. He sent Jesus to help us to apply this. Therefore, Jesus already did it, and because Jesus did it, I may also. Right? So Jesus in Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 33, he treasured the cross more than anything else. It's crazy. Talking to your boy saying, man, you know, I'm, 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 I got to go to the cross and I must die. Peter was like, die? Go to the cross? You hear this dude? I mean, he started getting, started smelling his own underarm syrup. And, you know what I'm saying, and started saying, Thomas, how he going to go to the cross? <laughs> how does glory come out of that? And he's high-fiving cats, thinking he's killing it. He took Jesus aside and started rebuking him. And Jesus, Jesus turned his back on him. And gritted on him. We say grit in D.C. We say grit. Grit on him. He gritted on him, turned around, said, get behind me, Satan. That's not the key statement. He says, for you are setting your interest on the interest of man, not God. Now, what's powerful about storing up treasure is today ain't the payday. There's very little reward that we get here, very little of it. The hardship of that is we have to go through the desert of life trusting God for something we may never get here. In Hebrews, it talks about the fact that many died without receiving what was promised, but they were still holding, like Grandmama said, to God's unchanging hand. See, you got to learn. See, so you ain't learned that yet. See, you got to learn how to hold. I'm going to start hooping in a minute. The hold to God's unchanging hand. Let me tell you why. Let me, let me tell you why. Be, be, because because much, of, much of the Christian life is a big embarrassment. It's a big old embarrassment. We feel bamboozled sometimes. <laughs> we feel so bamboozled. We're like, what am I doing? And that's why you over and over and over again, we got to encourage one another. Hold fast. Some of you as missionaries here in the city are going to feel the weight of that. The call of God to do work that he's called you to. And there are going to be droughts. And those droughts are systemic and they're strategic. To see where you will build. Will you fall back from moving forward in how God has called you? Or will you, will you drop the ball with it? And you got to, but what's powerful about Jesus is Jesus, Satan out there on the desert, Satan like, look, fall down and worship me. And Jesus, I don't know what he did computerized in his mind, but see, see, Jesus, he's so smooth. You know what I'm saying? Like he said, turn the stone into bread. He's thinking, I'm saying, I am the bread of life. You know what I'm saying? I'm already bread of life, so I ain't got to eat bread. But I'll just quote this, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out the mouth of God, even though later he'll say, I am the bread that comes from out of heaven. And then he tells them to worship him, fall down and worship him. And then, but, but, but Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, through about verse 11 says, and God bestowed upon him a name that was above every name. Why? Because he went to the cross, died, rose from the dead, ascended, and chilling at his right hand, interceding. 
God is going to give him a name greater than every name and then at the name of Jesus. So Satan is going to bow to him because and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, Jesus applied this principle by looking at some things that he wouldn't get in the 33 years that he lived on planet Earth. He applied that already. Jesus knew in 33 years, he said, he said I'm just packing stuff. Send this there. Send it up. Send it up. Send it up. Send it. I mean, he's just sending up packages. Sending up packages. We as Christians got to learn from our Lord and to live in light of his example, empowered by it, not just looking at him, mimicking it, but living fruitfully through his cross-centered example for us. That's what it looks like. We got to die. And God is going to take so many of us through a whole bunch of stuff. Whole bunch of stuff. Whole bunch of stuff. And the question is, are you going to be faithful and realize today ain't the payday? <laughs> and Christ looked at only the reward that God can give. Can, can you live for the reward that only God can give, family? That's what it means to view your possessions rightly. It's really more so about viewing you and God rightly. If those things aren't there, then we're in trouble. So we're praying that we will be consistent repenters of sin of our sin of self-absorption and self-righteousness and turn to Jesus in repentance to his cross and continue to put faith in his work and allow his work to impact us. That's, that's, that's our call, y'all. And maybe you're here today and you haven't turned from sin because we as Christians, we, call, we, we preach the gospel for other people to, to get saved, but we're always turning to Jesus even though we are saved. We have to continue to turn to him. Maybe you're here today. And you have never trusted Christ as Savior. We, 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 we present Christ to you as crucified and raised from the dead and pray that you would repent of your sin and trust in him alone. And trust in him alone for salvation. And if, you, if that's you, there's some cards on the back table. We want to talk to you more about what it looks like to walk through, walk you through from spiritual death to spiritual life. Father, we honor you.